Hello, and welcome back to Florida Foodie. I'm your host, Lisa Bell. Today, we are talking with a real expert when it comes to food here in Central Florida. Kendra Lott has spent nearly a decade keeping up with the food scene here as the publisher of Edible Orlando. She's spoken with chefs and growers. She's written about food, photographed it, and intensely studied it. Recently, she took all of that expertise and wrote a book about it called Unique Eats and Eateries of Orlando. She tells us all about her career, her new book, and her favorite spots that have opened up since the book was published. Welcome back to Florida Foodie. I'm your host, Lisa Bell, along with our producer, Thomas Mates. Hello. Well, Central Florida has a big and diverse food scene that's been growing and changing over the decades. And today's guest has been following all of that progress. We are joined today by Kendra Lott, the author of Unique Eats and Eateries of Orlando and the publisher of the magazine Edible Orlando, which has been coming to homes in Central Florida for years yes, now. Yes, since two th we're coming up on our 10th anniversary this this next fall. That's amazing. Oh. Um, and so I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Well, thanks for having me. I love your book. Thank you. I've been going over it. I mean, it's, it's a great book for people who live in Orlando, for people who are new to Orlando. It's a great gift for people. Uh, chances are you will learn something. You've most people who've probably read this book have been to some of the places, but they will learn about a whole host of new places to go. So thank you so much for being here today. How did you get started in the whole food industry? Because you have a long history. In I, it. I do. Well, I grew up here um, in Seminole County, and after I graduated from Florida State, I moved literally two weeks later to New York City. And that was a real revelation for me food wise because there you are like you know the farmers market is literally on the street you know going there and I'd never seen such things I was also fortunate enough to live um, with one of my three roommates because it's New York and it's expensive that <laughs> um, actually grew up cooking uh, running her uh, the kitchen at her family's bed and breakfast in Nova Scotia so and we were broke so we cooked a lot and you know just really learned about food from that and right around that same time uh, New York University launched a master's program in food studies and I was lucky enough to be one of the first graduates of that program so learning from industry professionals about everything from food history to anthropology to restaurant marketing um, and even food science and nutrition and that love affair has just sort of continued did, even when I'm not doing professionally it's continued did you also study that at FSU or it was there anything I was an English major okay and oh. it was so funny because I got a call um, from an alum recently on doing the pledge drive and they said well what was your major and I creative writing said are you working in that field and I thought yes yes I am <laughs> it took a long time but yes I'm finally getting my money's worth out of that bachelor's and so did your love of food I mean did it begin in Seminole County you grew up in Sanford um, I grew up in I grew up in Longwood Altamont okay. Springs area I live in downtown Sanford now okay. which has become a great you know hub for little local independent restaurants um, but I grew up um, my, my really first introduction into food was my father uh, uh, still hunts and fishes so I was always lucky enough to have a lot of fresh venison, like local Florida seafood, freshly caught. And he grew up in uh, Levy County, which is uh, between Ocala and Gainesville. So lots of farmland, lots of Sunday suppers, you know, at his, at his aunt's house with fried chicken and conch peas and zipper peas and all of those things that unless you grew up in this area, you're not, may not be as familiar with them because they have a short season. They're really delicate. So, you know, you don't, they don't get shipped far. You're not going to find zipper peas at the grocery store, but you'll I've never heard of them before today. Yeah, you have. So the next time you pass a farm stand and you see anything like conch peas 
or purple holes, all those shell peas that you don't eat the mm. shell, um, but they're generally like a black-eyed pea. looks the same. Okay. It's in that same family, but they're very southern. You just cook them up in a little chicken broth, maybe some you know ham hock or something like that, um, or not if you're vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what I do love, you know, talking about your magazine, Edible Orlando, is you do give people a lot of recipes on how to cook yes. local produce, local food, fish, whatever it is, because it can be very intimidating to a lot of people. It is, but the great thing about it is that when you start with ingredients like that, it makes you look really good. I mean, when yeah. people ask me what do I cook at home, it's like you would be shocked at how boring and basic my cooking is, but I take a lot of care you know, with the ingredients that I choose, and that kind of makes the rest of the job easy, like a quick simmer or a quick roast, and you're done. So you went to New York after graduating from mm -hmm. FSU. Fortunately, you got into this whole food scene, and so what ultimately led you back here to Central Florida? What ultimately led me back here um, was the siren song of free babysitting. Uh, my daughter was born. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter's going to be 14 very wow. soon. And uh, when she was born, uh, we were all living in the Hudson Valley, which is a very lush area in terms of local agriculture and farmers markets and all of those things. But I really wanted to get back to where my family was. And right around that time, um, Edible Hudson Valley uh, became started being published. And I kind of put two and two together that, oh, these magazines are in more than one place and they're locally and independently owned. So I began talking with the folks um, who run all of the edible titles about publishing the Orlando version of it. And over the next course of that year, I put together my amazing local team, our editors, Katie Farman and Pam Brandon, and we've been chugging, them, chugging along ever since. So for people who haven't seen uh, your magazine, mm -hmm. where can they go to find it? And I mean, you, you have a website where you we can do. Go, okay. And a lot of our feature articles, you can read the digital version at IdleOrlando.com. Mm -hmm. And if you're like me and like a copy that you can hold in your hands and pull out when you want to make a recipe, um, you can find, we were, we distributed over 300 locations throughout um, primarily Orange and Seminole County. So um, you'll find us at East End Market, at Whole Foods Market, places, Fresh Market, places like that. And it's all free. And it's free. People do subscribe and I encourage them to do so um, for home delivery because they do go fast. You know, people see yeah. them, they're pretty, they've got lots of recipes and pictures of local farms and fishermen and uh, for this current issue, our winter issue, um, uh, oyster farmers. There's a new generation of Florida oysters that we're all really excited about because they are delicate and small and they taste great. So read all about that on edibleorlando.com. monthly, quarterly? We're quarterly. So the issue that's out right now just came out first of first of the month. Prior to uh, starting Edible, were you, you know, doing food writing at the time as well? Or? I did do some. Uh, I did do some in school, uh, you know, through, as, through internships and apprenticeships. And after I got my master's, went to work for a publication called Food Arts, which was a trade magazine. So chefs and restaurateurs and hotel um, executives subscribed to that. But it was very, it was, you know, it was news, but it was really focusing on trends and very lush photography. So I got a real entree, you know, into the New York City restaurant scene with that. And it was just about the time that people were starting to shift focus to include not just celebrity chefs, but celebrity farmers as well. Mm -hmm. So it was a really auspicious time to be a part of that. I mean, I feel like the sky is truly the limit when you talk about food and everything that's going on in the food scene, certainly here in Central Florida, from the farms to I Drive to all the different little pockets. Mm -hmm. I mean, you live in Sanford, but in your book and in your magazine, I mean, you cover Mountain 
Eldora, downtown Orlando, and it's yes. all very different, all of these different pockets. It is, and I'm glad that you mentioned iDrive because that is a place that longtime locals kind of love to hate, and there is great food on iDrive yeah. if you look for it. And you know, some of those some of those places are in the book. Some of them I just discovered, you know, a couple weeks ago after a you know holiday outing with family, and there those kinds of discoveries all the time, which mm -hmm. was so exciting, you know, for me writing the book to have an excuse to go and check them out. So after publishing Edible Orlando for about a decade, mm -hmm. uh, within the past few months, you released this book. Is this your first book? It is my first okay. book. And I love it. We, you, you and I met uh, at a Discover Downtown. You were doing a book yes. signing there. Um, and it's so interesting. As I said, I think it's a great gift uh, for people. And we just started going through. But, you know, you first cover the East End Market and then 1921 and Mount Dora. How did you select just 100 places it was, for your book? It was challenging. <laughs> I mean, this was, I mean, Reedy Press is the publisher of this book, and they dictate how many chapters, you know, length, you know, number of photos, and all of that. But it was actually kind of a good exercise for me to winnow things out. Um, I first, my first step was just to write down, like, in an Excel spreadsheet, everything that I can think of off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. Like, this has to be there. And then diving a little further into some, you know, area best of, you know, list from, you know, local critics whom I know and trust and say, okay, well, I haven't been here, but they think it's great, so maybe I should check that out. And just kind of winnowing down from there. I mean, ultimately, when it came time, you know, to finish it, because I, you know, I wrote it over the course of several months, but when it got down to go time, if I had something in there and I sat down to write and I couldn't think of anything, I kind of took that, you know, as a sign. I yeah. mean, like they were, you know, sir, I had never been to hot dog heaven before, but boy, that was the easiest chapter I wrote. Really? Because yeah. <laughs> I was so excited after either. I went. That's the place along Highway 50. Yes. yes. And I see uh, you it. drive by it all the time. Drive by it all the time. My office is actually right above East End Market, so I drive by it all the time, but not at lunchtime, so I'm not uh -huh. thinking about it. And then, you know, by the time it comes home, I've already had something great to eat and not in hot dog mode, yes. as it were. But it really it's seems a, like one of those classic roadside stands. Absolutely is, yeah. and the yeah. fun thing that I learned is that if you have dreams of opening a hot dog stand up yourself, you can pay them, and they'll consult with you on how to oh, do wow, it. Oh wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Yes. So I mean, there's I just very specific consultation. So, I know, right? But hey, do what you know, <laughs> right? And you know, I'm just going through each page. You've got Norman's. Here we are at Hot Dog Heaven. Um, Athena Roasted Chicken, which is a local institution that has been around for decades, but it's also you know a chef fave. Um, I was an event shortly after. Um, the book came out and James Petrakis, owner of the Ravenous Pig, was flipping through it and said, oh, I used to work at Athena's. Oh, and really? apparently a lot of people in the area did. Yeah. And some of these, you know, as someone who has lived here for a while, I have never heard of A Land Remembered. Mm -hmm. That's that out at Rosen Shingle Creek. That is an excellent, you know, high-end steakhouse that is inspired, the, the menu and the feel of the place are inspired by the book of the same name, which I think everyone in, who grew up in Florida has to read it in sixth grade. You also don't <laughs> necessarily just talk about restaurants. Here we have Hazelig. Gazelig. Hazelig cookies. cookies. Yes. A bakery. Yes. And that is a wonderful um, local couple, uh, James Cassandra Plas, who make these traditional cookies, stroop waffles, mm -hmm. you know, you might know them as uh, and see them. And they started off um, in the commissary at East End Market and outgrew it to such that they're now in their own commissary with their little iron and the recipes wow. that they've perfected. And they do, you know, they have fun partnerships with other local artisans as well to collaborate on 
everything from Sundays to you know different ways to mash their products together. I'm, I'm so impressed you can just rattle all these like facts and everything yes. off the top of your head. I mean, obviously you wrote the book and everything, like that, but it seems like you've really gotten to like get to know these these locations and the people who run them sort of intimately. And and what so was there like the process of like going to each place and interviewing the people, or or was this more like your own impressions? Or it's both really. I mean, uh, you know, as I said, my office is at East End, and they've just they really have done what they set out to do, which has become a local food hub because so many small um, purveyors have you know come through there to use the commissary kitchen because if you you know if you want to make jam at your house and sell it at the farmers market, Florida cottage industry laws allow you to do that, but you're only allowed to make certain items and sell up to no more than fifteen thousand dollars worth of them in a year, and also put a label on that says these were made under cottage industry laws by Lisa Bell with your home address on it. Which is, <laughs> right. So if you want to go legit yeah. and do big sales and make whatever you want, you need to have um, an ins- a kitchen that's been inspected. Mm-hmm. So commissary kitchens in the area provide that for these smaller vendors because that's a very uh, expensive thing to undertake is managing and running your own kitchen. And if you only need three hours a day, say, to make your shortbreads or your street waffles or whatever, that allows you a very affordable way to do that. So a lot of those people who have come through that kitchen down the hall from my office, I get to know them and talk to them and be friends. And the Audubon Park community market, which we spoke of, um, is another great way to do that because those are all people who are selling what they grow or raise or make themselves. So it's a fun way to just kind of hang out and chat and learn their stories. Well, that's what I also love. We're at this Lake Meadow Naturals page that you talk about. Um, They provide um, poultry and cage-free eggs, Mm -hmm. but also you also talk about fleet farming in here. So tell us about those two organizations and why you included them in the book. Well, Lake Meadow Naturals is a real working farm in Ocoee, and they have a beautiful little farm store. Um, that's I'm not sure if it's open seven days a week. I'd have to check, but it's open several days a week, and you can go there and load up on both you know high quality um, products from other other areas as well as things that they raise and make themselves. They've got a little kitchen there where they churn out incredible salad dressings and stocks and bone broth and jams and and things of that nature as well as these eggs and on the weekends you can take your kids and go and they can get the eggs themselves that's awesome yeah yes. i mean because dale volker whose farm it is he grew up in wisconsin knowing that eggs came from chicken and milk came from cows and wanted to you know provide that you know experience you can go out and see the animals as you drive up to the farm which i think is so important and i think yes. we're losing it a lot which is why i personally also like fleet farming they mm-hmm. will if you live in a certain area where they focus Mm -hmm. um, they will come to your house and help you plant a garden yes Um, which I think that's an important lesson for kids yeah and I know a lot of homeowners enjoy having a lawn but I don't think Mm -hmm. many of us enjoy tending to it so to have less of lawn in play and more food that you can watch and you know have this swarm of volunteers come and harvest and maintain that and even if you aren't able to take advantage of that service because they have a limited footprint in which they operate because they go by bike um, (laughs) you can go to the you, know, you can go to area markets and buy their produce or you know look for it on menus because it's as fresh as it can be 
how much do you love your job? Because I feel like working with food would be like a dream job for so many people. It really is. And, you know, whenever I, there's so many different ways to engage with it. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, I, I, one of my favorite parts about publishing the magazine is going out with a photographer on a shoot and getting to know somebody who perhaps one of our contributing writers has written about, but see them showcase their restaurant, their market, their bakery, and you get to know them on that level. So I get, I get to hit it from so many different facets. And, and when I'm feeling out of inspiration, I just go back to the kitchen and I cook something for myself. That's like my yoga. I should do more yoga so that I can do more cooking <laughs> and it all balances each other out. But truly, I mean, just the, you know, the aspect of like finding something great, not knowing what I'm going to do with it until uh-huh. I get it home and you know figure out something delicious. I riffed on a great dish. Um, just please know that if I ever invite you to my home for dinner, it's because I have a lot of things in the fridge that I would like to get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> Little bits of that. Right. Like, like, you know, like, oh, I've got this little like wedge of tasso ham from Hinkley's Fancy Meat. You know, I'm going to make a pot of beans or something mm-hmm. like that. But just, you know, putting local ingredients together or seasonal ingredients together in a way that's satisfying. Like that gets me excited all over again. So you've been uh, working with Edible Orlando or on Edible Orlando, I should say, uh, for the past decade. nearly. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, you've been entrenched in Central Florida's food scene. And, you know, it's been you used to mention Sanford specifically is really mm-hmm. like blown up as this little independent spot for like restaurants stuff like what's what's the biggest changes you've seen over the past decade of like intensely studying central florida food i think just you know seeing you know seeing us go beyond trends and really embracing things that stick you know like mm-hmm. i love all of the you know the food trucks and the markets and things like that but when you when a, a place like sanford can support like a small independent restaurant like the tennessee truffle i think that, that means that we've really arrived and you see you know chefs coming from areas where maybe the rent's a little bit more expensive you know mm-hmm. and, and settling you know in in that area and getting the foot traffic because i don't think that I don't think that anyone would have thought that a place, you know, that on certain nights of the week serves dinner in the $25 and entree range would be a no-brainer in Sanford, but it's working and And continues to work. And people would drive, you know, 20, 30, 40 minutes from wherever in Central Florida, specifically to Sanford for that restaurant. Or take Sunrail, which is another huge development. And I think that's only going to continue to impact the way that we, you know, explore food locally, both because of, you know, the accessibility of the train itself and making it all of a sudden seem like, oh, well, that's not a big deal to go 30, 40 minutes away just for a meal. But also, you know, the residential areas that are being built up mm-hmm. around those little train stations. There's um, Wild Hair um, uh, Kitchen Garden Emporium is right by the Sunrail Station in Longwood. And mm-hmm. I think that more and more businesses like that are going to crop up, you know, for people who are commuting regularly, want to grab something, you know, either to have, you know, for lunch on the way in or to cook for dinner on the way out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just the way that our lifestyle is evolving, you know, is really changing the way that we eat. I mean, we all go through lifestyle changes. I'm sure, you know, when you have kids, that's that's the big one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like all of a sudden ease and convenience, you know, are a lot further um, forward than they yeah. had been previously. But I think that Central Florida specifically with the new, the ways that we're getting around and all of the, you know, the big ring road, I forget the name of it, but we're the ones that's connecting the, the 429 the, the and the 417. The yes. yes. I mean, yeah. like I4 avoidance is going to be huge in terms of people getting outside, mm-hmm. you know, the bubble. I mean, as I said, I grew up in Seminole County, but it wasn't until I moved back as an adult, as, you know, a mom and 
you know, a professional, working professional, that I realized, oh, this is a huge area mm-hmm. geographically. It's got a big footprint, and there are lots of little communities that I never knew existed who have longtime, you know, restaurants that they and groceries that they have supported as well. Mm-hmm. So that's fun to get out and discover. Were you surprised coming back from New York, like this, what is essentially known as like a food mecca, New yes. York City, coming back to Central Florida, like? Oh, there are like diverse mm-hmm. foods here. Stuff that you probably don't appreciate when to you're a be, kid. To be perfectly honest, I wouldn't have come back if that hadn't been the case. Like we, you know, it was a big move for us, and you know, for, to move my husband and our daughter, you know, who was four at the time, down. So you know, we were still coming, you know, twice, three times a year to visit family, and we did recon, you know, and it was literally over a dinner at the Ravenous Pig where we looked at each other and looked at that menu and said, "This can work. This can do this." <laughs> is you he know. a foodie? He is. Okay. He is. Yeah. Um, I cook. He does the dishes, oh, and that perfect. is the perfect yeah. division <laughs> of labor for me. So. I got to convince my yeah. fiance that I do the dishes and cook. So. Oh, <laughs> got to work on that. Um, so it's no easy task to put out a magazine every quarter. That's a lot of work, a lot of new content that you're generating, working with a lot of advertisers and all of that. So how do you make that leap then from publishing a magazine every quarter to then taking on a book project? Well, it was both more and less difficult. I mean, it was more. It was. A marathon is compared to a sprint for the book part but what was so wonderful about it was then when I was done I gave it back to the publisher and I said now it's now you do the rest yes <laughs> so they you know I had that support of you know somebody you know it was I was given the deadline I met my deadline and then they got back to me with edits and questions and all of those things and then it was off my plate literally well and this seems more you know 100% creative for you versus running a magazine where yes. you're doing with a lot of you're dealing with a lot of overhead and other issues that are going on. Right. I didn't have, at at no point did I have to decide how many pages the book was going to be based on advertising revenue or or things like that. Because there was, I mean, we never run out of stories with Edible Orlando. There's always something. I mean, it would be 200 pages every time, you know, if if we Mm -hmm. could, could print that many. But, you know, with the book, it was nice. It was really a challenge, I have to say. Mm -hmm. Um, When I, when I did finally turn in, in my first draft of the book, my husband said, I'm just so glad to not see you in those same pajamas anymore. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was just like wake up coffee right yes and that was not something I'd had to do in the past how long did it take how did that whole process come about did the publisher contact you yes. and then how long did it take and all of that it, it was about eight months you know before okay. the first contact you know to final but I'm not gonna lie I'm a procrastinator and mm-hmm. you know there's I spent a lot of time thinking about it and you know kind of you know doing that research but yes there does come that point where you just have to sit down and words yeah. and that that part of it, um, I'm glad. I'm I'm glad that part's over. That said, I would love to write a second edition because there's so many places that have cropped up and I've fallen in love with since the book came out. Yeah, yeah I was wondering, like, what was there one that didn't make the cut that looking back on it, you're like, mm, I probably could have shoehorned that in there. Well, not so much that, but literally, um, like after after I leave here, I'm going to go to Lotte Market because you know, that mm-hmm. opened up right after you know we went to press and. It's one of my favorites uh, because of the food court in it. It's a great market, you know, on top of that. But I love something within a something, like Mm -hmm. the little cafe inside the Balkan Grocery in Longwood or the food court at Lotte Market because I usually will go during the day, like I'll do a side trip, you know, something like this. Mm -hmm. But um, I was there recently on a Friday night and, you know, just like wanted to pick up a few things. And it looked like everybody in the food court was on a date. It was so cute. Where is Lotte Market? (laughs) That is 
is on John Young and Colonial. Okay. And it is a, a, a chain, a Korean market chain, but very, um, very upscale, very like you go to the fish counter and it says, these are the ways that you can order the fish. Mm-hmm. I mean, like they really walk you through it. And the, and then the food court within it, you can order your food, get a little buzzer and walk around and buzz when it's ready. Taglish just opened up there. The Filipino, which had previously been a pop-up, we've got a little bit about them in the winter issue as well. So, you know, it's a great way to just go and sample. Everyone gets what they want and kind of convenes in the middle. I love that about it. That is fantastic. So the book, this book just came out, though, not too many months ago. Yeah, it just came out the early summer. So, and you're already talking about maybe doing book number two? I hope so. I hope that they, they, you know, they have me update it because it's it's really fun to go out now that the the bones of it are there. Yeah. So what has the feedback been like? I mean, first, where is this available? I I feel like this would be a must read, certainly if you're a tourist coming to Central Florida, but also for people who live here. Um, It's available at the uh, downtown information center mm-hmm. in, in downtown Orlando. Uh, Seven Bites carries it, the Ancient Olive in Winter Park, all of our area Barnes and Nobles, and of course Amazon, mm-hmm. you know, as well. So, and have you gotten a lot of feedback from people who, you know, are visiting or have lived here forever? And if so, what are they telling you? I've been getting really good feedback, yeah. actually. I do a lot of, you know, talks, you know, in you know various, you know, everything from, you know, a 55 and up community to a local church group. And the feedback has been great. And yeah. my favorite thing is when people come up and through it said oh yeah I love that place and ooh, I haven't been here <laughs> See, that's, that's what I've been perfect, doing yeah. that's sort of the perfect <laughs> yeah. thing because I what I really try to do and the you know the feedback that I've gotten on people who you know, from people who've tried places uh-huh. is give them a sense of place for where they're going because yeah. you know how it is like you know sometimes you're up for like you know a romantic dinner and you want to plan for it and you know dress up and sometimes you're just like wow I would really I've never had you know Szechuan cuisine mm-hmm. let's go let's go try See, it I feel that I am in a complete rut. I always tend to go to the same restaurants and order the same things. We all do it. And so that's why I love something like this, to, to guide you as to where to go and perhaps even what to order on the menu. Yeah, and I, you know, writing the book, I'm, I, it's after blathering on, I'm a shy person by nature. <laughs> but you're, you know, you're friends, we're here for a purpose. But in terms of just talking to strangers and pulling out their story, this is, again, a fun reason to do that. Like, well, okay, you're a Taiwanese restaurant, which dish on this menu is the most authentic, you know, from Uh where you come from and have, you know, that, you know, that server or host point you in the right direction. And, you know, that's a really fun thing to do in a lot of the international markets that are around here because people are so proud to tell you, this is how we eat this, where Mm -hmm. I come from, and this is how we make it. If there was like one dish from this, from all the restaurants, from that you, from all the people you've talked to, and the people who directed you, and the, there was one dish you said everyone should go out right now or as soon as they can get that thing. Is well, there? It's not in the book because it's it's a rotating menu of seasonal specialties. But I was at 1921 last week and had the homemade uh, mushroom spaghetti, which sounds so simple, but it was this beautiful tangle of house-made spaghetti with a porcini cream sauce, but not a ton of sauce. And the other half of the plate was this gorgeous array of mushrooms uh, grown locally at nearby Naturals, which you can buy those mus- uh, those mushrooms yourself at um, Audubon Park Market, for instance. Um, but they were just, I mean. 
I'm a, I'm a carnivore. I eat everything. But that was such a satisfying and gorgeous plate of food mm-hmm. that... My mouth is watering listening to you describe that. By the way, that's in Mount Dora, 1921. That is 1921. Yeah. And we had just... My in-laws were in town, and we had just taken a sunset cruise, you know, with the rusty anchor for an hour. And you saw a beautiful sunset and went and ate a perfect plate of this gorgeous dish. And I made my husband order a pork chop a la carte so I could pick off of his plate to go with it. <laughs> so. I mean, it's it must... I, I love that. And it must be hard, though, for you, because you are so aware of all these different places, to pick a place to go out to dinner to take people. It is. And, yeah. you know, you talked about getting into the rut of going to the same places. And I have, you know, a lot of friends who I can, you know, sort of press into like, hey, have you been here yet? Have you been here yet? But... Um, you know, someplace like, you know, Taste of Chengdu, for instance. It's like if you've been once and you have that great thing, you want it again the next yes. time you go back. So it's like <laughs> you, you have to bring people who have never been so that they force you to get that thing that you haven't tried. Now, um, we've had other people on this podcast before, and I like to do like a round table, you know, quick fire round um, question session. So if you were to go on, say, like a girls' night, where would you go? Ooh. Oh, man. I'm trying to think. Of, I'm, I'm thinking of my guest list <laughs> first because the, who could I go? Who could you I, on the spot. Who could yeah. I take that I, they would order what I right. may, want them to order, not order all the same right? thing? Yeah. <laughs> um, I would do a food court situation. I think with a girls' night, mm-hmm. just like a, like a lote market or. Um, what else would be fun? I'm thinking wine. There has to be great wine. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a given. Oh, let me flip, let me flip, flip through right. my book. Okay, yeah. Or, for example, like a Mexican restaurant. Do you have a favorite? Um, the one, you know, we did uh, for, uh, for Edible several years back, we did a roundup of restaurants, and there's a great place. Um, I want to say it's called Taqueria Tepeyac out in St. Cloud, Cloud that a friend of mine told me uh-huh. about where they've got huaraches, you know, the big shoe-shaped yeah, yeah, yeah. fried, you know, fried to order sort of. It's like, a, it's like a thicker, puffier tortilla. Like that place is great. But frankly, I'm a sucker for any place that has great chips and salsa. So that's all good by me. And margaritas. And margaritas. <laughs> yes. Yes. But um, do you have a sushi favorite? I do um, have a few sushi favorites. Um, I'm lucky enough to live near Jamodi's uh, in Sanford, which is has great sushi. And more recently, um, robata, like the like the skewers that they do on the really high heat grill, so you can go and get a bunch of them and try different things. Um, Sato yeah. sushi is excellent. Kabuki sushi is excellent. Mm. Kabuki would be a fun place for a girls' night. I think the one over on Sand Lake. That's a great locale. Um, yeah, that one just opened up yeah. too. Didn't yes. It? Yes. Yeah, yeah, they were over on Colonial beforehand. I've been there before. Actually spoke with the chef for Click Orlando article. Very nice guy. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he does amazing mm-hmm. things. does really yeah. amazing things. So I received a press release today, actually, that you're going to be at the uh, Home and Garden Show. Yes. Do you have any big uh, upcoming events where, you know, people can meet you, get a signed copy of your book, you know? I, um, well, it's not just my event, but all of Edible Orlando. Um, very excited for the seventh year in a row, we are going to be producing Field to Feast out at Long and Scott Farms, yet another farm that's in the book, working farm. It's where Zellwood corn comes from. In fact, it's the last, he's the last grower, Hank Scott, of Zellwood sweet corn. So this was something growing up. There was a Zellwood corn festival every year, and now he's the last He's the last one. But um, we have this benefit every year which the Walt Disney World chefs come out and present farm to table cuisine and the open air. It's super casual, super fun. You can do hay rides, you can eat, there's music, and 100% of the benefit, uh, the 
proceeds benefit the Second Harvest Kids Cafe. Okay. So Great. in this in the six years that we've been doing it, we've been able to donate more than a hundred thousand dollars wow. to that Kids Cafe program. But I'll be there. All of our editors will be there. Lots of local food personalities and the incredible Walt Disney World chefs. And, that's and when on is February, that? February twenty second. Okay. That's a Sunday. So you can go out, like have your little Sunday afternoon, take a hayride. It's beautiful and it's really a singular experience. I think you know in this area in terms of the kind of food and the kind of experience you know that you get because the chefs are so excited to be there and chat with you and show you what they're making and you know all of it showcases Florida farms Florida beef Florida fish and seafood so it's a really great event where do you see the food scene say five years from now I would love to see even more neighborhood restaurants truly Mm -hmm. Um, I mean I'm not in terms of predicting that it's hard to say I mean but seeing like this next generation of chefs who have started off as sous chefs you know Mm -hmm. some of the bigger restaurants the hotels go off and you know sort of forge their own path Mm -hmm. you know and people becoming more and more creative and integrating I mean I think the biggest thing that happened in the food scene like globally or within the country at least is the rise of sort of upscale fast casual Mm -hmm. I would love to see that on an independent level you know, like going from like people aren't so much doing the fast food there's paying that extra you know three four dollars and doing something like a Panera say mm-hmm. but something to echo that on a local level like where there are even more places to get a casual meal because mm-hmm. we've always kind of had it locked down on fine dining because of our hotel and, rest, and resort scene you know you have to have those mm-hmm. you know things for all the people who are coming and going to conventions and doing big corporate dinners and and that's great as a local too to take advantage of but just more of these neighborhood places where people can just really gather over something that's simple but great and isn't going to be a real breaker, budget breaker. And it's amazing how those places have really transformed the landscape in Central Florida. I think they have. Yeah, everywhere we've seen them pop up. Mm -hmm. I think they have. I mean, look at how people have embraced, you know, good local coffee in such a short time. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's only... You know, these are the things that stick. You know, these are these aren't just trends. You know, no coffee's not going anywhere. You know, <laughs> people need it, people love yeah. it. But you know, food, you know, kind of come along part and parcel, you know, with that as well. Cool. Well, Kendra Lott, thank you so much. You we wish well. you nothing but tremendous success on Unique Eats and Eateries of Orlando. And love this book. If you write another one, let us know. Absolutely. And I can't wait to get one of the first copies. And also Edible Orlando. You can go online to edibleorlando.com and uh, subscribe or find it around Central Florida. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Right, thank you. Cool. This is awesome. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Florida Foodie. We'd also like to thank our guest, author and publisher, Kendra Lott. You can find her work at EdibleOrlando.com, and her book, Unique Eats and Eateries of Orlando, is available right now on Amazon. Be sure to follow Lisa Bell online as well. Search Lisa Bell News on Facebook and Instagram, or Lisa Bell News 6 on Twitter. You can also find her new children's book online at NormanGnomeBooks.com, and by searching Norman Gnome Books on Facebook and Instagram. Also, a big thank you to our technical producers, Derek Mosier and Ryan Haley. I'm the show's producer, Thomas Mates. Florida Foodie is available for download anywhere you get your podcasts, so please take the time to rate and review us there. It helps people to find us. And you can find videos of all of our podcasts on clickorlando.com slash podcasts.